0: Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman.
1: And I'm Olivia Mentor.
0: And today we are joined by repeat guest Ayana Leij, who is talking about her experience with postpartum psychosis that she recently wrote about for Cosmo. And she is a friend of the pod and also one of Olivia's real life best friends. So we're excited to get the chance to talk to her about it.
1: I am so excited about this episode. And I feel like Ayanna's story and her essay are in this interview are going to help so many people. But just a quick note for trigger warnings about postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, suicide is mentioned. So just take care with all of those. And um, yeah, just wanted to mention that.
0: Before we get into our chat with Ayanna, should we do some highs and lows? Yeah.
1: What is your high?
0: My high is that I'm going to London. Well, when this airs, I'll be in London. But in real life, I'm going on Saturday. So I'm very, very excited. This is the second year in a row. My friend Rachel goes every year for a podcast conference. And last year, I kind of just tagged along. And this year, I'm tagging along. And then so is our friend Maxie, who went on our trip to Paris and Dijon last year. So if you follow me on Instagram, you might know of her. So I'm very excited. I It's like kind of just a funsies trip. Like I I don't have, I'm going to meet with my UK editor and agent. I'm going to try to do some work while I'm there, but it's like highly unstructured. We have a lot of dinner reservations. We have some museum exhibits we want to go to. We have some theater tickets to see Magic Mike XXL. Oh, yep. There's a theatrical production of that? There sure is.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So like with song
0: and dance? Yes, correct. Oh, and no clothes? I think jockstraps. Okay. I'll report back. I'll let you know. That's exactly how I pictured London. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I don't know if there's really a lot of talking in it, but if so, it's male strippers with British accents.
1: Oh, that changes things. It really does.
0: I bet people are getting whiplash in this episode. It's like we're here to have a very serious discussion about postpartum psychosis. But first, let's talk about male strippers.
1: We have a little bit of everything here about a paper.
0: We do. Um tell me your high.
1: My high is that I feel like past me who had approximately one beer because it was 72 degrees, I went outside. I was like I'm going to get a beer and some chips and salsa and work on some some writing. And then by the end of the beer, I had booked a vacation. <laughs> so- what? Well, not booked a vacation. So I'm actually going on a girls trip with Ayana and one of one of our other friends in August. And uh, I was like, Jake, what if I haven't booked my flights? What if like you just come at the end of it and then we stay for six more days? And uh, that proved to be a very good decision because the week since that moment has been not great for me. So I just feel like I have that little thing to look forward to on the horizon. I have a girl's trip, followed by a trip with Jake. It's going to be good. We're going to EPM, Excellence Playa Mujeres. So everyone knows my feelings about EPM.
0: EPM is your breakers.
1: It is. It is. I think breakers is a little bit bougier,
0: but it'll be nice. I'm so excited for you. You deserve a good thing. However, and I I don't want to sound shitty right now.
1: I know what you're going to say.
0: I'm owed a vacation with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'll pay for it with my own money, but like, I'm owed our one year trip to I know Toronto or a beach or literally anywhere.
1: I know it's true. It's true. I know we're going to make this happen. I was honestly hesitant to mention it because I know that I do owe you a trip.
0: No, I mean we don't, owe each other a trip. Don't feel bad, but I'm just saying that like I still want to go on a trip together.
1: It's still on my radar. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll just extend the stay at EPM even further.
0: Maybe you live there now. Yeah. Then I'll come at the end of it.
1: Honestly, it would be
0: wonderful if I did. Tell me your low. Are there updates on last week's low? Are there new lows? It's just
1: it's been a bit of a bit of a tough time. I feel like when it rains, it pours, you know. So I'm hanging in there, though.
0: I'm glad. I was gonna say also the part our listeners don't know is that uh, it's been one day since we recorded last week's episode. So there hasn't been a lot of actual time for things to get better. (laughs) Update
1: still hanging on by a thread 24 hours later. Yeah. Uh, What is your low?
0: Well, I feel bad complaining about this given your low last week about losing your draft. But I'm feeling a little, I guess, overwhelmed is the right word by my own book project and thinking about balancing travel and writing, which we've both talked about before, how you always have the best intentions and then get yeah. there and it, it doesn't happen. So I feel like I'm really proud. I've been incredibly consistent this year with writing. I've I've like been very dedicated to it, treating it like my full-time job, which it is right now. But you know, starting with my trip to Florida, I kind of feel like I'm in this gone for a week home for a week ish. Yeah, back and all forth. Place. I know. Yeah. I have a lot of extended travel plans that aren't like stressful and, you know, aren't prohibitive to working. But at the same time, I need to like figure out my motivation and figuring out my schedule outside of my normal routine. And I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed with needing to balance it. And I'm also feeling a lot of pressure in this week when I'm home to be like, you need to go above and beyond and like, write double yeah. what you normally would because you know you're gonna be less productive when you're in London. So I'm just I I figured out the at-home consistency piece, but I'm not quite there with balancing travel and writing. But I want to get there because I want to be able to do both.
1: Yeah. So what are you doing now? Like when you travel, are you doing what I usually do, which is like, I'll write every morning and then i don't do it really at all or do you say like okay i'm not going to write and then the pressure's on when i get back
0: i don't know so i mean i haven't really dealt with this because the only trips i've taken this year are i went to maine and i was by myself and i was writing i was just in a different place and then in florida i completely took the time off it was i was only gone for 2 weekdays so you know that was intentional so this is really kind of like the first time i feel like i'm having to grapple with it I think my goal when I'm in London is to write for two hours in the morning, or if I can't, then like two hours when we come back to change before dinner. So like finding two hours in the day somewhere to write. And so maybe not having the same amount of productivity, but at least having a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, again, I feel like it goes out the window. And especially if you're with other people who they're like, oh, let's go do XYZ fun thing. I have FOMO of not wanting to miss that. So yeah. I don't know. I'll report back how it goes. And then I'm I'm going to Boston for a week in early June. So I feel like I'm flex the muscle to figure it out.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Report back because I love hearing about like figuring out that balance.
0: I don't know. I I hope I, I hope I do.
1: I feel like in my dream world, if I was doing what you are, which is just like writing is my job, I would just be like, when I'm traveling, I can't do it like I'm just not even going to put the pressure on myself but when I'm home I'm going to be more disciplined than I've ever been in my life because I feel like my problem is I get in my head because if I say I'm going to write when I travel and I don't then I like feel depressed that I did it. And, I, mm. and it's like and then it like it grows to this bigger thing where it feels overwhelming but that's advice you literally didn't ask for.
0: <laughs> no, it's it, it that might be the answer that it just you can't do both. I I feel a lot of pressure, not that I have a looming deadline, but like I I have an amount of work that I want to do in advance of my deadlines, not until September. But, you know, so I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out, like, I I don't want to get behind, I guess. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see. That makes sense. Well, good luck. Thank you. Let's take a quick ad break before we talk to Ayana. Most of you have probably heard me sing the praises of Pros and their truly custom made to order hair care. Switching to a custom routine from Pros is one of the best things I've done for my hair, and the results I'm seeing just keep getting better. And I never notice that more than when I travel and I don't have my Pros. I probably should get some of those small travel bottles and just pour it in. But every time I'm like, no, it's not that big a difference, and then I travel and use different hotel shampoo and conditioner for a few days. I'm like, nope, it's the pros. It makes a big difference. I just feel like my hair is smoother. It gets less frizz. I can go longer between washes. Like It just overall feels healthier when I'm using crows than with any other products. Definitely. And another awesome thing that I love about Pros
1: is that it allows you to change your formula at any time with its review and refine tool. I've definitely noticed some changes in my own hair since the weather here has finally been getting a little bit warmer and slightly more humid. And it's nice to know that I can adjust my prose formula if I ever feel like something about it isn't working for me. But if I ever do change it, I am definitely going to keep the Corsica scent, which is the same scent that Becca uses. And it's this great expensive smelling fragrance that has notes of Anjou pear, peony, cedar wood, And it just like makes my hair smell very expensive, which I love.
0: Yeah. It smells like an Italian spa. I don't think I've ever been to a spa in Italy, but it's what I imagine an Italian spa smells like.
1: I agree. I think you're correct.
0: Prose knows there is more to you than just your hair type. Prose has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how I got started. By analyzing over 85 personal factors, Prose handpicks clean, sustainably sourced ingredients that get you closer to your hair goals with every wash. And if you're not 100% positive that Prose is the best hair care you've had, they will take the products back, no questions asked
1: custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E.com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15%
0: off. Ayana Lej is a lifestyle blogger and freelance writer based in Tampa, Florida. She writes about motherhood, mental health, social justice, and everyday life on Instagram and her website. She published a story titled, Postpartum Psychosis Landed Me in a Psychiatric Ward for 17 Days. Now I'm ready to share my story for Cosmo Magazine in April, 2023. And we're so excited to talk to her more about it today. And she's also been a past guest on Bad on Paper. So if you've been a listener for a long time, you will definitely remember her.
2: Yeah, it's an honor to be back. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Welcome. two-time guest club. I mean, This feels very prestigious.
0: <laughs> oh, how many people have been guests more than once? Katie Storino has been a guest three times for some reason. But other than that, maybe we've had the author Catherine McGee on twice because we've done her books for book club twice. But other than that, I don't think there's any repeat guests. I'm in fantastic company. Wow. <laughs> it's an exclusive group. It's a very <laughs> exclusive. So group. Honored.
1: <laughs> oh, well, like Becca said, we're so excited to have you here. I mean, you're my friend, so we talk all the time, <laughs> but I really wanted to have you on to talk about this amazing article because I think it's so important. It obviously resonated with so many people. Um, for anyone listening, go read the article after this or before this or whatever. But I, um, yeah, I'm just so excited to talk to you about it and spread awareness for maternal mental health, which I feel like no one is talking enough about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that I wrote it. It was such a I feel like you both share things about your personal lives online. So, you know, it's like, it's always such a trade-off. Like how much of myself do I want to put out there? Will I regret sharing this detail? Should I Should I wait? Should I, so it's just like, it's a whole thing, but, but I'm really
1: glad I did it. So if anyone doesn't read the article or they're just coming into this episode new, can you talk a little bit about your experience that informed the article?
2: Yeah. So I um have struggled with depression since i was like in my late teens and when i decided that i wanted to have a baby it was kind of always in the forefront of my mind postpartum depression you know postpartum mental health all of this so when i got pregnant um with my daughter i like met with my psychiatrist and with my therapist i was very proactive because I wanted to do everything in my power to like prevent this terrible thing from happening. And then long story, and yeah, long story short, the long story is the Cosmo article, if anyone wants to read it. But the summation of what happened is that after she was born, no depressive symptoms. I felt amazing, I'd never been better. I was just like so euphoric. And then it very quickly spiraled into me not sleeping and then dealing with delusions. And then ending up in the hospital where I was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, which I knew nothing about beforehand. My family knew nothing. My husband knew nothing. My psychiatrist said that I was like one of the, I think like one of two patients She's treated with the condition and um, she has been practicing for a long time. So it was wild and terrible and really traumatic, but I was able to recover thanks to... um, finding an antipsychotic that worked and and kind of ended the delusions. And then, yeah, I I was in the hospital for almost three weeks. And then I got home to my one month old and kind of of was like, what the hell just happened? Like, how do I process this? How do I make sense of this experience? So yeah, even, even now it's been almost three years and it's still like, it feels like it's been such a journey. You
1: said that, like, you didn't really know anything about it beforehand. At least you knew about postpartum depression, but maybe not postpartum psychosis. Like, as it was happening, were you like, okay, this is probably what's going on? Or was it not until you went to the hospital that they were like, okay, this is it, I guess? It, so,
2: yeah, it wasn't It wasn't until I was hospitalized. I think that we were really hopeful that it was just, like, really intense mood changes and really intense like postpartum hormones um i didn't even find out about the diagnosis until after i was released from the hospital because in the hospital i was either so delusional that like i was not coherent or able to have a conversation or i was completely drugged and like sedated um so it wasn't until i got home that i then was like oh this is what happened i had heard the term i, I mentioned this in the article but i'd heard term psychosis only in relation to andrea yates who if anyone doesn't know tragically drowned her children um, while while dealing with the condition years and years ago. But I, I never thought of it as something that would happen to like a normal ordinary, which is so problematic to me. But I didn't think, oh, this could happen to me. You know, it's like, oh, this is something you see on the news that people are really unlucky that makes them hurt their children. Like it has nothing to do with me. That was kind of my mindset beforehand.
0: And I know you said this in the article, but what is the incidence of postpartum psychosis?
2: It is one to two per um, 1,000, and there are thoughts that that number may be underreported just because, you know, if you don't get proper medical care, maybe no one has a name for what it is, but yeah, it's definitely, I don't have the number off the top of my head for postpartum depression, but I can tell you that it's way, way less frequent.
1: I know in the essay you wrote about how the time in the hospital and you just mentioned was kind of like a blur. But when you think about the experience now, like, is there one moment either while it was happening or afterwards that sort of like encapsulates how you were feeling at the time?
2: I think that what is really difficult for people to sometimes visualize when I'm telling the story and I'm like myself is that I was completely frantic until they basically like dulled my senses enough to the point that like i didn't have the energy to keep up with delusions i legitimately thought that i was going to die i thought that the hospital was running experiments on all of us i thought that my daughter was in danger at home so i'd have these moments where i would call my husband or call my parents at one point They, the nurse's station turned the phones off when they saw me getting near because it was just like I was just over and over calling them, pleading with them to come get me because I was in danger or because Nora was in danger and I needed to... I needed to get out. I need to keep her safe. So, you know, everyone was trying to kind of like talk me through it. And like, you know, I know you feel that way, but it's not true. And for me, like thinking back, the emotions are no different than how I'd feel if legitimately I got a phone call saying like something's happened to your daughter. Like I was completely just like, just in fight or flight, adrenaline rushing because I was so convinced. Um. And like, I can't even say it felt weird because it it was real. Like I was so convinced of what I was seeing and what I was hearing. So honestly, it it was scary. I think that I had really made peace with my mental health diagnoses, but also maybe bought into like a very ableist idea of this is what is acceptable to deal with. Yeah. Like I might have depressive episodes and sometimes I've had panic attacks, but like, it's not like I am combative it's not like i'm refusing to shower because i think that they're hiding dead bodies in the bathroom like i i think that the biggest thing that i learned i, I felt very humbled because i'm like okay i am not air quotes like better than anyone else dealing with any mental health condition you know um it doesn't discriminate and can affect anyone so it, it definitely was i feel like a learning and unlearning for me
1: yeah I mean, I feel like, like you said, the only times you hear this talked about is the sort of like absolute most horrific case and it completely dehumanizes the person that is going through that. Then it makes it seem so distant that why would you ever prepare for this? Because it's not going to happen to me. It only happens to this certain type of person. So I literally can't imagine how isolating that would feel. Um, it's not a question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so okay. I, I feel like, it's so incredible that you shared your experience. I'd never heard of postpartum psychosis before. But I feel like we might be stirring up some anxiety for potentially expectant mothers or people who are looking to have children. Like what what are the things I know you shared about your own circumstances in the article, but like are there any warning signs or anything to look out to? And then I'm also really curious that in the article you said that you and Wagner are thinking about having another child and you're thinking about what to put in place to prevent or lessen the circumstances if this happens again. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I I love
2: that question because I said when I wrote this article and when I shared it, that if I had had it, while I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. I think that I would have been very freaked out. I mean, I had a miscarriage before my daughter. So my pregnancy was very filled with anxiety. I was very aware of the worst case scenario, like all the things that can go wrong, even though I did not know about psychosis. This this was something that I didn't know about. Um, So I think that for me, the overwhelming majority of people will never deal with this condition. I don't think that it's anything that people should be up, you know, laying awake at night to like, thinking what if this happens to me i think that what i look back and wish that i had known is the warning signs like lack of need to sleep irritability mood swings paranoia like i think that had i had that list or had you know my husband had that list then we would have realized i mean i don't know based on the said it was enough i would have included but he probably would have realized much sooner like hey this is This is something that we're going to need to go to the hospital for because it can't you know psychosis cannot be treated at home um so that's my biggest thing as far as having another baby i think that people are really surprised by that but i i have a really great psychiatrist and after talking to her about like the triggers and the warning factors um there are things that you know if i do have another kid which it's like (laughs) <laughs> depends on the day where I'm leaning, but, um, I sleep deprivation is a big one. So for example, we would probably, I had a postpartum doula last time, but like it kind of all happened. Um, she was mainly helpful, like as I was getting home from the hospital, but basically like prioritizing my sleep and that just being like a non-negotiable, like, you know, I is getting a full eight hours of sleep every night in, in, the beginning of the period, you know, we are most at risk for this. And then we're lucky we have a lot of family around. We have my parents, his parents, you know, my sister, like we have this huge community nearby. So I think that for me, I'm like, I'm going to talk to my psychiatrist. We're going to know the warning signs. I'm going to be properly medicated for it because this is something that I didn't cover in the article, but I was on an antidepressant. Throughout pregnancy and after giving birth, which is a terrible combination with like the mania of a psychotic episode because it basically, oh. you know, boosts your serotonin, <laughs> which is like the last thing that you want for someone who, from my understanding, from my doctor, the last thing you want from someone who is like in this ramped up, very excitable state. Um, so there, there are just things like that, I think. I, I just feel really grateful for the knowledge we have. Um, And then also my therapist, my psychiatrist, my doula, like all of these people who who will be there.
1: What do you think is like the main thing that would have been different had you been more aware of the signs? Because even as your friend, like I remember having conversations mean like, oh, I've never had a friend that's really, well, actually, you're really my first friend that had a baby. So I was like, I, I don't know like oh, it is. <laughs> oh God! I mean, you know, it, but it wasn't like you know talking to you. It's not like it was. Oh, something is clearly wrong. I was just oh, she thinks this is really funny, or she's just tired. You know, like I would have no idea. So you already talked about some of the signs, but what is the one thing you think would have been different?
2: So I I feel the same way. I think that a lot of people around me felt that way of like. It's postpartum hormones. You know, people act funny after they have a kid. I had a very long labor that ended in an emergency C-section. Like a lot had happened, so like of course you're not yourself. I think that what may have been different is that um, there's a moment that I detail in the article that I think was two or three days before I was hospitalized, where I realized or had the thought that I could not trust anyone with my daughter but myself. So I was like holding her pacing the house. I remember my husband like watching from another room very clearly like trying to get a hold of my psychiatrist like this doesn't make sense. Um but still we didn't know what was happening. I think that if I had another baby and I reached a point where I said I don't feel like I can trust any of you around around this baby, I think that it would be like all right, like all hands on deck. This is not good. We need to get it moving. But as you said, it's like, how do you know? Maybe I just was feeling suspicious because like of these like new mom hormones, you know, you hear about like the protectiveness. So I think that that was the biggest thing. It was hard to separate what was what because like we didn't, we had no idea.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's one of the best things about talking about it more because like the more people that are aware of this, the more maybe Wagner would have felt more like, okay, not alone in his like thoughts. Like, oh, something's something's not right here. Like someone else would have been actually like, I, I feel like something is wrong here. And then, you know, you have more and more support. But yeah.
0: And also just giving you a, a framework to reconcile it with. Like I feel like some of the conversation has opened up over the past five, ten maybe years about postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, which I think I can't speak from experience, but I think if you start having those feelings, you have a name for it. You say, Oh, maybe it's this. Whereas I don't think that postpartum psychosis has as much as much awareness around it. I imagine that you and your husband had no idea what to attribute this to. Like it wasn't something you'd heard of before.
2: Yeah. And and I felt so prepared for postpartum depression. As you mentioned, I mean, there's so much out there about it. Knew the warning signs knew what to look for. And it was just, it was such a weird feeling in the days leading up to the hospitalization. I felt so like grateful. I was like, I don't have any depressive symptoms. I have never felt better. I don't need to sleep. Like I could have 10 more babies. <laughs> like in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of like supposed to feel a little bit, a little bit shitty after, after you give birth. So <laughs> I mean, hindsight, I guess. Let's take a quick ad break
0: In case you're looking for a new podcast to love, I want to tell you about one of my favorites, which is called A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and is hosted by best friends and business partners, Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo. They have that same two friends talking vibe that people seem to like about our podcast. And they talk about everything from shopping and cooking to tougher topics like what to expect during menopause and deciding to have or not have children. It's the perfect mix of light and real.
1: Like this one, their podcast has been around for years, and it can be intimidating to jump into a podcast with such a big back catalog, but I assure you, you can start anywhere. A lot of their episodes are a grab bag, kind of like our three things episodes. And in one of their recent episodes from April, they reintroduce themselves and do a catch up so you can learn who they are and the necessary background info before you dive in.
0: That's so smart to keep saying it, but we should do an episode like that for new listeners. Uh, maybe in September around the launch of my book, we should do something like that. Oh, Oh. yes. I would love to. It's such a good idea. Seriously, I've heard so many of you say, and I totally agree that our podcasts have a lot in common. And I think about them as the slightly chicer and more sophisticated version of us. And also if you're a parent and looking for some light parenting talk, Claire has a toddler son and talks about motherhood and has some of the best non-cheesy kids' clothing, and gifts and toy recommendations.
1: I feel like they do such a good job with shopping picks in general. They used to own a company called Of A Kind that stocked artisan gifts, like jewelry, office products, home accessories. So they're incredibly in the know when it comes to who is making the best of the best, from towels to baby gifts to the perfect white t-shirt. If you're looking to add a new podcast to your lineup, give A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica a try. Again, that's a thing or two with Claire and Erica, and it's available wherever you're listening to this podcast.
0: Talk to us about the experience of deciding to write about this. Did you always know you wanted to write about it? Did you start writing about it earlier? Or was there just one day where you were like, this is it? I'm, I'm writing this article today. How did that, how did that come to be?
2: So I started, I started Google Doc at the end of 2020. So about like four months after my daughter was born and I was like just shouting. So I I kind of was like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of just like muscle memory for me that when, when bad things happen, I I just, I tend to share it and, and try to like find a silver lining in helping people. But I started to write and I just had a moment where I'm like, mm, this kind of feels this kind of feels like me just like dumping every thought about this and every anxiety about this onto paper. And I don't think that I should publish anything right now. Um so instead I went to therapy, which I highly recommend to anyone. And I told myself, I said, um, I'm not gonna write. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna try to flesh out an essay or pitch it or anything until twenty twenty two. Cause in my mind I was like beginning of 2022 will be like a year and a half after this experience and enough time will have passed that you know i just i just don't i i I kind of was like i know that i'm not ever going to be like oh i should have published that earlier with something like this but there is a high probability that i might be like i really wish that i had processed that more before like just putting it out there so 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 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i i've made that mistake before as I mentioned, I had a miscarriage and I wrote a lot about it and I don't regret any of it. But I, again, am like, if I had been in therapy and waited a little bit, I think I would have been a little bit more careful about what I shared. But um, anyway, yeah, so I then at the end of 2022 found um, a freelance editor and, and asked her to look over it and um, kind of helped me organize my thoughts. And then I pitched it to Cosmo I think January or February of this year.
0: And then I ran in April. And what has that experience been like? Did you expect it to go as viral as it went? Are there upsides? Are there downsides? Like what has been the experience of sharing such a personal a personal experience in your life?
2: One of the reasons that I wanted to wait until like it didn't feel as fresh is because I knew that the response, even if positive, would be overwhelming. And I kind of was like if I'm putting this out there and I know I know that if I'd seen this as I was getting out of the hospital and like reckoning with this diagnosis that I would have wanted to reach out to the author and thank them and share my experience. And so I kind of was like okay, I know that I'm going to get a lot of probably going to get a lot of responses but i was still shocked at how many women who had dealt with postpartum psychosis messaged me and emailed me it was like so stunning to me it was probably like 15 to 20 which when you think about the incident rate is is kind of wild um yeah it was definitely overwhelming i i remember just like looking at um at their website knowing that it was going to go up at 11 a.m eastern that day just like okay like it's gonna be out there there's no there's no going back but um overall i think that it has been really healing for me and and a lot of the things i think that i'm still dealt with shame about from that experience i think talking to other people and like reading comments has helped me deal with like that embarrassment and um just like beating myself up for something that i had no control over
1: Even I got messages just from sharing it, people being like, thank you so much for sharing this. This meant so much to me. And I was like, I did not write it, but my friend did. (laughs) And I am very proud of her. (laughs) But my point being that like you could really just feel the impact and like how much it meant to the people that have that have been through this. And to your point, like that's another good reason not (laughs) to write about things, I think, too soon, because then you have to sort of process everyone else's emotions as well and sometimes you just need to I feel like you know do that yourself before you're dealing with everyone else
2: Um, yeah I mean I got a couple of responses from people who had lost relatives to postpartum psychosis and uh, like again like I'm so honored that people shared these stories with me But if I had written this right after it happened, the idea of like reading about someone dying by suicide because of the condition or something like, like that would have been extremely triggering to me. So I think that that's like all the more of a reason to like work through everything in therapy, (laughs) process it, and then know that like, I want to be able to like hold space for the responses, even like the tragic and hard responses. Absolutely.
1: Something I find very interesting about, um, Maternal mental health in general is I feel like there's this like spectrum where women are like dismissed for having like the baby blues or whatever, like, oh, they're just hormonal. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there's like this dehumanization of like people who go through postpartum psychosis that makes it even harder to talk about. I guess I'm wondering, what do you think, in addition to talking, obviously, you don't have to have all the answers here, but do you think there's anything? in addition to just being open about it and talking about it, that is going to help destigmatize all of it and have people not dismiss it so often.
2: I think the biggest thing is accessible healthcare, honestly. I mean, when you read stories about postpartum psychosis, and I will say, because I think that it's important to acknowledge the reality that it is the mental health condition most closely correlated with women killing their children. Like it, it's definitely can be very serious and very dangerous, but you hear stories of women who did not have access to mental health care services. And so I think that that's the biggest thing. I feel very lucky that I even had a psychiatrist who was able to answer questions along the way to initiate treatment. I mean, when I got out of the hospital, I was seeing my psychiatrist once a week, which is for anyone who's like had a mental health care provider, not the norm for her often you see a psychiatrist. But I had a doctor who cared. And then yeah, I mean, I also think that it's just probably a matter of like looking out for your friends. I don't expect any of my friends or family to have been able to interact with me and say, Hey, something really bad has happened. I mean, it wasn't like clearly apparent until like the day before I was going to the hospital that like I was kind of losing touch with reality, but um I think even just checking on friends. You know, I ended up in a very interesting situation where I had this breakdown, and you know, my friends knew, my family knew, my husband knew, my doula knew. So I did have a lot of support. But it's interesting to think if I had dealt with postpartum depression or anxiety, like I easily could have hidden those symptoms, you know, and, and suffered by myself. So. I don't know. I, I I definitely don't have all the answers. But I don't even know if that was an answer. <laughs> but I I think it was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the biggest thing is just like having people around you who care and like access to healthcare. Absolutely.
1: As your friend, you talked about friends, but do you think it's really like as simple as that? Just like educating yourself and checking in? Because at the time I was like, I have no idea what is helpful. I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I feel like I'm going to do the wrong thing. I feel like, you know, I just, I didn't know. No one knows. So do you think it's just checking in, just being aware? Is there something, is there anything else?
2: I I think, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, I will say that for any new parents, like the tangible things of like sending food, sending like cleaning services making their lives easier regardless even if someone's not having a crisis it's like always amazing you know i will say that toward the period where like things started to get a little bit spooky two of my friends did reach out to vagner directly and say hey we separately like they don't know each other like hey something might be going on um and both of those friends have had children so i think that that also maybe helped in that regard because they weren't thinking like oh like this happens to everyone like yeah these wild mood swings are totally normal she's like calling me sobbing one second and then like laughing hysterically the next that's totally they were like okay no this is not something that that we experience and, and and we they wanted him to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that if you notice your friend acting out of the ordinary after having a baby, to some extent that's expected. But I mean, even if it's just like they're sleep deprived, even if it's just that they are like having a hard time adjusting to like feeding and and all of those things, like that in itself is still really difficult. So I think that when I think about my friends who've had babies, like I try to reach out, I try to send gift cards, I try to be helpful because like even under the best circumstances, it is really, really difficult. Um, and, and then I feel like just having those conversations will allow you to be aware of like, you know, if their mood seems off. Um, then I would also say like, I would feel very hesitant to contact a friend's partner to be like, something feels wrong. Like I wouldn't want to overstep. I wouldn't want to make it weird, but I'm so glad that they did because that kind of also started the process of him then reaching out to my psychiatrist saying like, hey, her friends are saying that I wasn't sure if if it was normal, but her friends are saying that she seems weird. Like yeah. that was kind of what caused him to actually reach out and, and ask if my psychiatrist would be willing to like have a virtual appointment with me.
1: Yeah. That's super good
0: advice. And obviously this is so different person by person, but I'm curious, how did you feel after your stay in the hospital like did, were you wanting people to reach out to you and check in with you did you want to be kind of like left alone like how are you feeling afterwards and like what kind of support were you wanting
2: I think that when I got home I coped by just dumping right back into life I only took like a six or eight week maternity leave um, oh wow part of which was like I'm self-employed so I right. pay myself but also I mean, I could have we stretched my savings a little bit more, but I just was like, I gotta get back to work. Um, so I think that in the beginning, when people did check in, I was like, Oh, I'm fine. Like I'm home from the hospital. Like things are good. It wasn't until a couple months later that I started to really deal. Like I, I had like a like a month long depressive episode because so i was just like still processing you know my entire experience but i feel like there's never any harm in reaching out i think that my approach with my friendships is to try to be this way is like i'd rather reach out and them not want to talk but know that i'm there for them if they do than never say anything and then have someone who i love feel lonely and like they have no one um so far i feel like that hasn't that hasn't failed me but the answer your question it was a mix and i feel like i only had a couple of friends who like knew the extent of what I was feeling.
1: Do you feel like there was anything in addition to therapy that helped you process the, the trauma of it and the
2: entire experience? I joined two Facebook groups for postpartum psychosis. And then I also read, I ordered like pretty much every book I could find, which what there there weren't many. And I read like two or three books about it and I think that it helps me kind of reckon with the i mean there's just so much to go through right so you're in the hospital for 17 days during it's august 2020 so this is the point where there's no COVID vaccine you don't know the long-term effects of COVID. i've got a premature baby at home so like i toward the end of my hospital, say so I was terrified that it was going to bring COVID home to her. And then I missed like pretty much her entire first month. And then I had the embarrassment of behaving very irrationally, both at home and in the hospital, um, you know? So I remember just like screaming at my family. because I was so upset that they didn't believe all of the things that I was saying, it, the things I was saying were that I was going to write a Bible and that my daughter was Jesus and, you know, that God had given me all of these visions. So, like, it just, like, I feel like processing it is just so different from anything else because I've had to give myself a lot of grace and forgiveness. But, yeah, I think that reading the books and finding other people definitely helps.
0: I'm curious. I, I know you can't answer for him, but maybe you've talked about this. How did your husband cope with processing the trauma of this after the fact? Like, are there also Facebook support groups for partners of people who've gone through this? Like, did he read the books too? Like, how did he, how did he handle that? If you're comfortable talking about it?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, he went to therapy, which I think was really helpful for him. Um, But I think that even talking about it now, it's like so difficult I I can't imagine being in his shoes and like seeing my partner, my spouse, you know, in this state and not knowing, you know, are they ever going to be back to normal? Um, Like he told me that every time that he'd call the hospital or they'd call me or the social worker would reach out to him kind of with an update, he would hope desperately that it would be, she's back to normal, you know, we're seeing her emerge um, and not me like, screaming about delusions and hallucinations. Um, So I don't know that he looked for any sort of support group or anything, but I think that it's such a unique experience that I feel like it's just, it's hard to find anyone who can relate, you know, on every single level. And even in the Facebook groups that I joined, there were stories of women who tried to hurt their kids while dealing with this. And I found that like very difficult. I don't know. It's heavy. It's it's, I feel like it's a lot. It to is. Bear.
0: And I, I'm so grateful for a you lot. talking about it. Cause I know we're asking you to like rehash all of your trauma and to dig into something that obviously was not a pleasant experience and, you know, bring that back to the surface. I'm wondering not to counterbalance it, but just to help bring some light to the conversation. Can you share your favorite memory from your daughter's first year? That's such a sweet question. You're gonna make me cry.
2: Um I would say the first time that we took her to the beach, she was probably about eight months old. And I just feel so lucky overall. I mean, I that first year kind of felt like I was in survival mode, but once things started to clear up, I I just felt so grateful. I'm still feel so grateful for like how <laughs> I feel weird saying how great my life is, but I mean, I I, I genuinely feel so lucky for the life that I have. And, you know, even though things were very difficult in the beginning, it it all turned out okay, you know? So I feel like that's what matters.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. And I feel like, I don't, I mean, I say this all the time, but it is so like, I'm someone who, first of all, doesn't really know how they feel about kids. But if I do have kids, I would definitely want to be a parent like you are. Like I admire you so much, (laughs) which you know, but also like I'm a very anxious person as you also know. And hearing about this, learning about it, learning more about it than I knew before from your experience, reading the essay, like it doesn't make me more worried to have kids or something you know it makes me feel like okay like I feel like I would be stronger having this knowledge going into this even if it's just more of my friends having kids like I feel like I could be a better friend to them like I could relate more so I feel like you know you're <laughs> don't worry about people being worried or whatever I think that it ultimately like it's it's incredibly impactful and so helpful for women whether they are going to have kids whether they might whether they are worried about it all of it so always thankful for you but especially when it comes
2: to this (laughs) well thank you i mean i i do kind of i balanced my worry that i would be fear-mongering with the fact that like pregnancy and childbirth are wild like there are so many things i mean anyone who's on tiktok has probably seen like people on tiktok explaining like (laughs) pregnancy made my teeth fall out
0: and you're like what (laughs) can do that
2: (laughs) it's true there's a lot of scary stuff (laughs) it's always a gamble but that makes me so happy to hear
0: yeah absolutely Anna can you once again tell us the name of the article if people were waiting to the end of the interview to read it and then also where they can find you online if they would like to keep up with your your content or your writing those are the same things Yeah, of
2: course. So I don't, I feel like the SEO and web headline for the article are different, but it's something like I spent 17 days in the hospital. Honestly, I feel like if you Google Cosmo postpartum psychosis, Ayana, you can add in my last name for extra flair, it'll come up. (laughs) But yeah, the article is something about, you know, spent 17 days in the psychiatric ward due to postpartum psychosis. And then you can find me on Instagram. It's like the best place to go. And it is just my first middle last name. It's just Ayana Gabrielle Lage. So A Y A N A, G A B R I E L L E L A G E. Well, no one ever sees this like the panic that I'm going to misspell my own name, which I have done before doing that but made it through that time
1: that's like me at the end of every episode where it's like and i'm olivia mentor on instagram and it's like am i I don't know.
0: Every, time <laughs> like- every time i get a new yeah. iphone and autocorrect resets autocorrect always autocorrects my name to because for a month and so i just spend a month signing all of oh, my God. emails with the wrong name that i send from my phone <laughs> it works yeah they're like okay what you mean sure that's why I always have to leave on sent for my iPhone, <laughs> because otherwise people are like, who are you? Yeah, we'll know the fact. Because what? Because what? Because oh, man, what? Thank you for coming on and sharing with us today. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Let's get into some end matter. Olivia, do you have an obsession?
1: I, uh, yes, sorry. I, I do have an obsession. <laughs> I was reading your obsession and just <laughs> giggling. Do you want to tell me yours? Oh yeah, mine, do I share it? <laughs> mine also makes me giggle. It's uh, Queen Charlotte on Netflix. Oh, I really wanted to watch like a period piece drama this past weekend because I just like wanted something that was going to make me feel I don't know inspired, and the one I wanted was not there, so I settled for Queen Charlotte, which is a Bridgerton spinoff, and I like Bridgerton, but I'm not like a Bridgerton person. I don't know. Anyway. I watched the first two episodes and I loved it so much that I am now like saving it for my future self. But it is just, it is delightful. Ooh. I keep using that word, but I really like it. And King George is very hot.
0: <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I I don't usually like period dramas, but I love Bridgerton and I love anything Shonda Rhimes does. So I'm I'm excited for it.
1: I think you'll like it. Tell me about your obsession.
0: Okay, my obsession is Martha Stewart being in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition magazine at 81. I think that is so cool. And I think that has come such a long way from kind of the like Playboy light Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Mm -hmm. Edition that used to exist when we were teens or when I was a teen. So I think that's so cool. Also, I learned this fact via Martha's Instagram. So Martha's mother is also named Martha. And instead of Martha being a female junior, her mom just went by Big Martha. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love that. I kind of love that, too. I found that out and I was with my friend. uh, One of my friends who I was on this trip to Florida with, is also pregnant. And I was like, you should also name your, your child Allison so that then you can just be Big Allie. I
1: mean, that would be like the best name if you were like a grandmother Oh, I know. To, instead of Grandma Big Alley, that'd be that'd be so cool, so powerful. It's kind
0: of funny too.
1: <laughs> I know. I love it. <laughs> I love Martha Stewart.
0: What about on the reading front? Have you read anything new in the past twenty four hours? <laughs> I have
1: not read anything new in the past twenty four hours. Have you read anything new in the past twenty four
2: hours?
0: Well, I've started my reread of Happy Place by Emily Henry, which is our book club pick for this month. I I read it back in December. In a, in a galley. And so now I'm reading it again to prep for next week's book club. And honestly, I've got to say, I'm just like incandescent with jealousy at what a spectacular writer she is and how good this book is.
1: She's so good. I'm uh, reading it right now. I'm maybe like 75% of the way through and just kind of taking my time, but it's just, it's entirely her style. Like it's just so unique.
0: Yes. So if you have something that you want to add to the conversation next week for book club, record a voice memo and send it to us at batonpaperpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 843-405-3157. And we may play it on the air. Yes, please do. And that is what we have for you this week. If you'd like more of us, you can join us in the Facebook group. Just search Bat on Paper. You can also follow us on Instagram at badonpaperpodcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman.
1: And I'm at Olivia Mentor.
0: And we'll see you next week for Book Club. Bye. Bye.